Hey everyone, I'm Pastor Stephen. Thank you guys for watching with us today. We are in the final session in our teaching series, On Demand, and we are specifically looking at how we can develop healthier, stronger friendships even in this crazy year. It is no secret that this global pandemic has forced us to create new patterns in all the different areas of our lives, and that's what we've been talking about the past few weeks. Um, On the positive side, it's almost like we have uh, been handed the remote to the different areas of our lives where before there may have been systems or structures or or patterns in place that that you had lined up for that area and now now you have complete control over it. So that's that's the positive. The negative of that um, is is we kind of have to start from scratch. And for a lot of us, it's thrown us off and it's kind of caused us um, to maybe uh, shift gears a little bit. And there's some of the things in our lives, I think, because of the shutdowns, because of the quarantines, that have maybe caused us to forget about because they're out of sight and out of mind. Uh, When I was in college, I was an RA, uh, which meant that for that year of my life, I had the room to myself, the dorm room to myself, and it was, it was actually the last time in my life that I had complete control over the remote control <coughs> at any time. So I'd get home from class and I'd plop on my Craigslist couch and sometimes just to kind of decompress from the day, I'd do what a lot of us do, I'd just kind of channel surfed and I'd watch whatever was on TV at the day. So you're not like being intentional and trying to find your favorite show, it's just whatever's on, you're gonna watch. One of the shows that I ended up watching day after day, not on purpose, it's just because it was on, was Wife Swap. (laughs) I don't know if you guys remember that show or if you've ever even heard of that show. Um, I'm not even sure if it's still on, but it's kind of this ridiculous show where uh, the the network basically finds two completely different families that are extremes and then makes the moms, I say makes, they sign up to do it, but makes them swap houses for two weeks and and you see the the ridiculousness of all of it because you'll you'll have like the heavy metal rock band and then they'll find you know like an Amish family and they'll say okay swap and and you're watching it and to be honest it's not good television but some of us watch it because it makes us feel like we're not the craziest people in the world because there's crazier out there Um, I would watch this show day after day again not intentionally, not on purpose, it's just it happened to be on whenever I got done with class. I graduated college and I don't think I've seen another episode of Wife Swap since then because my schedule changed and I never really sought it out after that and for all the reasons I started watching Wife Swap, I stopped watching. Uh, Before it was in sight, so it was on my mind, then it became out of sight and on my mind. Now, here's why I say that, because I think for a lot of us, um, some of us have approached our friendships the same way. And some of the people that we have become friends with, um, it wasn't necessarily this intentional, specific, on-purpose process. It just kind of happened circumstantially. And the things that have been in our lives that have pulled us together have caused us to connect with the people around us because they're right in front of us. We see them at church. We see them in our life group. We see them around the office. Maybe our kids are on the same sports teams together, um, or maybe we are in the same league with them. Um, Whatever it is, we didn't have to work to see them like we do now. Um, And there are people in your life that you used to see regularly without even trying, right? We all know that. Um, But because those friendships are created by circumstance and by the old patterns of how we used to do things, there are probably people in your life that you used to see regularly that you just don't see as often. 
maybe even close friends that you used to regularly see all the time. And maybe since this pandemic started, um, things have just changed. And, and, and here's what I can say with complete confidence um, is that didn't happen on purpose. For most of you, when you think of the friendships that you just don't see as much as you used to and you miss them, I doubt that you sat down months ago and you said, my goal for this year is to grow apart from this person, right? That didn't happen. But circumstantially, that's where a lot of our friendships have gone. So which are those friendships for you? Um, Who are the people that you used to see more often that you just don't anymore? Um, Simply because they're out of sight, so they're out of mind. Well, here's what I want to challenge us with, because I I think that there's a lot we can learn from this. And I think that even what's happened in this is is God can teach us all different kinds of lessons through this crisis. And one of them is the healthiest friendships, they aren't by accident. They aren't on purpose. Uh, They they are on purpose. And, And you have control over the direction of your, of your friendships. It's your responsibility. Proverbs 17, 17, it says this. It says, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. What that tells me is that God wants you to have loyal, consistent friends that are there for you through the different seasons in your life. And he wants you to be that kind of loyal, consistent friend for the people around you. So So what does that look like? How can we create stronger friendships, especially right now? I think for some of us, this might be something that's just been a struggle. And maybe you feel a little bit more lonely than you did. Or maybe even before all of this started, loneliness was a struggle for you. Um, Well, what I want to do is I just want to look at one of the last things Jesus ever says before he's arrested um, and and he's killed. Um, And this was in the last few hours that Jesus is with his disciples. One of the topics that he chose to talk about with them was friendship, was how to be a good friend. He knows that that he's just moments away from being arrested and, and they won't be together again until all of the events that are about to take place, um, and he's and he's suffer. He suffers and he's killed. He, he resurrects, and then and then he's with them again. But this is one of the last things he says to them in John fifteen twelve. He says, "This is my commandment: love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends." He tells us to love our friends in the same way that he loves his disciples. So. When you look at that, you, you almost have to pause. If you don't know the context and all that's happened with Jesus and, and his disciples, you have to ask, well, how did he love his disciples? What does that mean? What is he specifically getting at? What does he want us to do? So if, if we just pause and we look back at how these friendships began years earlier, um, here's what it says in Matthew 4. This is when Jesus first becomes friends with these guys and he invites them to become his disciple. It says this, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. A lot of us are very familiar with this passage, right? It goes on, they left their nets at once, and they followed him a little further up the shore. Uh, He saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. So what does Jesus do there? What is he showing us that years later when he's talking with his disciples, he says, I want you to do the same thing. The first thing he did was he initiated. 
Jesus took the first step. He didn't wait for them to say, hey, Jesus, is it okay if we follow you around for a few years and ask you a bunch of questions? He didn't wait for that. Jesus took the first step with them. So if I'm loving my friends the same way Jesus loves me, I'm initiating with them. I'm not waiting for them. I'm not waiting for them to have to call or to text me. I'm not making excuses for why we haven't seen each other in a really long time. If I'm truly loving my friends the way that Jesus loved his disciples, then I'm willing to take the first step because that's what Jesus would want me to do towards my friends. Now, here's the deal. I know a lot of us are thinking, we know, we know, I need to be a better friend. I need to get better at it. Life's gotten busy. I don't call enough. I know we can all make very quick excuses for why we don't do this, right? I barely have enough time for my own family. And I know that because sometimes I feel the same way. But let me go back and read what Jesus said again because I think some of us may have missed the beginning of this part. It says, verse 12, this is my suggestion. No, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. See, I think sometimes as Christians, we look at the things Jesus says as commandments We kind of take them to be optional because life makes it so inconvenient for us to live those things out. But what Jesus is saying is if you really want to be my follower, your friendships should look different. Like you should look different than the other friends around you that aren't following Jesus. Your faith should cause you to be a better friend. In other words, if you're the exact same kind of friend that you were before you started following Jesus, you may not be fully grasping what Jesus is asking us to do. Because what he's saying is, I want you to be a different kind of friend. I want you to love the people around you differently than you would if you weren't following me. And in this case, that means initiating. And why is that important? Like, why is it so important that as Christians, we're really good initiators with our friends? It's because great friendships are built, not chosen. And I think sometimes we make this mistake and we get upset if, if the friends that we have, if maybe the, it, it, it doesn't have the, the connection that we hope it does, or it doesn't have the depth that we hope it does. Um, But maybe we're looking at it from the wrong perspective. You don't just decide who your closest friends are going to be. You have to build the friendship to that point, and that takes time. Right now, we're standing in the West Bridgewater location of Grace Church, which is the newest location. And uh, this this building that we are standing in, um, when we first stepped in here over two years ago, it looked very different. And so we, we started looking around and dreaming of what this space could be and then ensued about a six-month renovation and building project to get it to where it is now, the space that we absolutely love to be in. But it took a lot of steps. It took hiring an architect to come up with plans that we had to get approved by the town. Then we had to hire a demolition company to come in and knock down the old walls. Then we had to hire another company to come in and help us build brand new walls and put drywall and paint and furniture and do all of the final touches. Um, It was a long process. Now, it wouldn't have made sense if halfway through that process, I walked in this building and we're kind of half built, but it's not done yet. And I looked around and I got frustrated and annoyed because it wasn't what I wanted it to be yet, right? I wouldn't do that because I'd know that we're in the building of building this thing. Well, we can't do that with our friends either. And I think it's really easy for us to get frustrated if our friendships aren't where we want them to be quite yet. But don't get frustrated because you're still building. 
brick by brick, it's still in process, and, gr- and great friendships are built slowly over time. And that starts with you initiating. Now, the second thing Jesus did here, what he lo- loved the disciples. How, ca- how can we mimic that in our own lives? Well, well, he initiated, but he also he invited. Matthew 9, 9, this is one of the, the disciples who joins him later on. It says, um, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and he followed him. Hey, come to the party. We got room for you. Just imagine if you're sitting there and Jesus invited you to join his crew. That's like the coolest thing in the world. That was the greatest moment in Matthew's life. Matthew's the one that went on to write about this story in the Gospel of Matthew. Like this was the life-changing moment. Why did Jesus do that? Because he knew how much the invitation would mean to Matthew. He knew how much it would change his life. Have you ever been invited to something that it just like took you back? that you were invited, maybe because of what the event was, or maybe it's because of who the, the invitation came from. Every now and then I'll get an invitation from a friend that I haven't talked to in several years, but they'll be getting married and I'll get a little invitation in the mail. And it just means so much that when they're thinking of the most important ceremony they'll ever be a part of and who they want to share that with, they're thinking of me, even if I haven't talked to them in several years, right? Because invitations are a powerful thing. When I was a freshman in high school, um, starting at a brand new school, and the way my middle school was set up, like all of uh, my friends went to another high school, and I ended up going to one where I didn't really know a lot of people, so I was trying to find a place that I could meet new friends. So I decided to try out for the school musical, um, and I did okay in the acting. When it came to the dancing, um, the director paused and said, "Um, thank you, Uh, we're gonna, ask you to be a stage manager uh, and not ever be on the stage and do what you just did. Because when I dance, it's, it's so bad, it's like a, offensive. And the director said, so we'll still let you hang out here, um, but you're going to be not even the stage manager, you're going to be like the assistant to the stage manager, which meant he was just creating a job for me because he felt bad for me. And so I would go, you know, every uh, two or three days we'd have rehearsal and, and stay after school. And I didn't really know anybody because it was all juniors and seniors, but it was, it was so cool that I was invited to be a part of this play, even though I clearly didn't have a real role. Well, the week of the show came and I still didn't really know anybody. I was a little intimidated because the whole cast was almost entirely seniors. And then there was freshman Steve there who was quiet and insecure. Um, And the rehearsals for that particular week were going really late, like eight, nine o'clock at night because we're making all the final touches on the play. And and so it was was hard for my parents because I didn't drive yet. Um, for them to come back to the school and pick me up every day. So one of the seniors, a guy named John, who was the star of the play, offered to give me a ride home each day that week. Um, he didn't have to do that, but he knew it would help my parents out. Um, his, his younger brother was in my grade, so we kind of knew each other. Um, so he'd drive me home every day, and I thought it was cool that, okay, so I'm kind of making a friend here, even though he's about to graduate in a few months. Um, the, the day of the show comes, opening night, it's this big, you know, it's sold out show. We go, we have a big cast party afterwards. We all go over to one of the cast members' houses. Um, and I'm, I'm feeling awkward, I'm feeling a little out of place, because I still don't really know anybody um, but, but I just love that I'm there, right? You know what I'm saying? And um, so as we're about to wrap up and go home, a few of the seniors go to John, who was supposed to give me a ride home, and said, hey, John, we're all going to go to Walmart, 
um, if you want to come with us, which, you know, when you're a high schooler, that's like a cool thing to do at 1030 on a Friday night. Um, everybody else in the world, that's kind of lame. Um, but for them, they all wanted to do that. And so, uh, so I'm thinking, ah, well, now I'm not going to get a ride home. And so he comes over to me and he says, hey, Stephen, um, you want to go to Walmart with us after this? And I'm thinking, you don't have to invite me. This is the senior thing. And he's like, no, 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 it'll be cool. You'll love it. And so for me, it was the coolest thing in the world when I'm hopping in the car with him and I'm going with all these seniors to Walmart and we're getting like the ready whip and just eating whipped cream in the parking lot. It was a stupid event that meant probably nothing to them. But for me, it was the coolest thing in the world that I was invited to that. Why? Because that invitation, even though it meant nothing to John, it was powerful for me. There are people in your life that whether you realize it or not, your invitation to them is powerful. It's meaningful. And you inviting them to join your crew, it may not feel like much, but for them it's a lot. What that invitation did for me as a freshman in high school is it gave me confidence. It was the first time in that crew that I felt like I was worthy to be there. I felt like I wasn't just an inconvenience or the young nuisance who was barely hitting puberty. Like I was, I was a part of the crew with them. Invitations are a powerful thing. Jesus knew that, which is exactly why he tells us to love people like he loves the disciples by inviting them. So to love your friends like Jesus means that you are the one who's initiating. You are the one who's inviting. Jesus wraps up this passage in John 15, 14. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus is saying, that my friends are the ones that choose to be different and to live like I did, to live like I do. That Jesus is actually telling us that the people he can tell are truly his friends are not just the ones who say they are. They're the ones who act differently. They're the ones who, who are different kinds of friends, who don't allow themselves to be too busy for the people around them. Because think of Jesus. How busy was he? Did he not have way more on his plate than I ever will? And yet he was never too busy for the people around him. So it's simple enough, right? Like we all know this stuff. You're smart enough to know that, okay, I should be a good friend and, and I need to be better at reaching out to the people around me. Like we all know this, right? Why do so few of us actually do this? Why do so few people initiate with their friends? Why do so few people invite new people into their friend circle? Why do we struggle with this so much? Because we do, right? Like, that's why we live in such a lonely world, and that's why it's so easy for us to feel insecure and feel out of place. And, and it just makes me wonder if maybe the reason that Jesus chose this to be one of the last things that he tells his disciples is because he knew how important it was. And so I just want to dive into that for, for a few more minutes and look at what are some of those common roadblocks, the different reasons that we don't do this. The first one, we're too busy. Like, we barely have time for the people that mean the most to us. And, and I know that because for me, I've got two daughters, five and two years old, that a lot of times it gets to the end of the week, I'm so tired. The last thing in my mind is who I need to reach out to, who I need to invite to come over because it's it, like just having time with my family is such a coveted thing. In other words, I'm too focused on my own stuff. And isn't that the theme of sin? 
Like I'm not saying if I don't reach, like if I don't reach out to my friends, I'm living in sin. But anytime I'm choosing to put all of my stuff before what Jesus asks me to do, I'm too busy to do the things that Jesus asks for me. Anytime I position myself in that way, I can't say that I'm living like how Jesus wants me to. Jesus was never too busy for the people around him. So if that's a roadblock for you, it might be worth stepping back and just truly asking yourself why. Why the people in your life, why the friends in your life aren't as high of a priority in your schedule as Jesus would probably want them to be. The second roadblock that I think causes some of us to struggle is maybe we we just don't think our friends like us as much as they do. I think insecurity is a powerful thing. I think it's one of the most powerful tools from Satan that he loves to throw your way whenever he can. is, Is to just worry that the people around you are annoyed by you. They don't really like you as much as you like them. Or the reason they're not initiating with you is because the things that they're saying behind your back, you don't even want to hear, right? Like that's, that's the default in our mind is, is to worry and to worry and to worry that the people around us don't want to be around us. I read an awesome book um, uh, a few weeks ago called Together by Vivek Murthy, who was the attorney general for the U.S. government. Um, and it's a very honest book uh, where he's talking about the, the importance and the power of friendships, and he's, he's telling it through the lens of somebody who he and his wife moved far away from their families, and they live in Washington, D.C., where they're trying to raise their kids, but socially they had to start all over. And he, and he says this quote, and he says, when relationships falter or fail, we tend to blame ourselves, even if we know it's not our fault, even if it wasn't our fault, that we tend to blame ourselves. Why is this? Because of insecurity. Because we have defense mechanisms up. Because we're worried that we screwed something up. So Satan loves this roadblock. Because he loves to convince us not to initiate, not to invite. And the way he does that is by saying, they don't like you as much as you think. They're too busy for you. You should hear what they're saying behind your back. They've already got enough friends. Which leads me to the third one that doesn't apply to everybody, but I think it does apply to some of us, is the third roadblock for some of us and why we don't love our friends the way Jesus loved us is we're all set. We got enough friends. Like I've got all my friends' boxes checked. I don't have room for anybody else. I'm good to go. Now again, this isn't everybody, but for some of us, this is the roadblock is that your crew is full and closed and you haven't made a new friend in years because of it. One of my favorite barbecue places in the world, it's like so popular that if you don't line up and you're not standing in line by the time they open, you might not get the food that you want because people just love this place. And so if you try to go to lunch at like 12, 30, 1 o'clock, a lot of times they're already sold out of the beef brisket and the ribs and they still have like the turkey, because nobody wants that, and they've got like all the leftover stuff, but everything else you want, they're sold out. Like you got to go home because they didn't save any for you. I think sometimes like we want to be friends with other people uh, and, and, and they have a roadblock up. And that roadblock is like their friendship circle. They're sold out. There's no seat for you. There's no space for you. And to be quite honest, that might be you. That might be something you struggle with. And it's not something that you've ever even thought about as being a bad thing. But I can say this with absolute confidence. I don't think Jesus ever wants our friend circle to be closed. 
I don't think he ever wants us to stop making new connections. And, and I don't think it's deliberate, but I do think this may be a snapshot of a struggle in your heart. Because our sin draws us to comfort, to familiarity, to what we've already known. And Jesus often is nudging us towards new, towards new connections, towards stretching us, and, and toward, away from just what's easier for us in order to help more people. James even says this, uh, James 2, verse 1, he says, How can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who's poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, well, you can stand over there or, or sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are being guided by evil motives? Now, what, G- what James is saying is that our hearts are naturally judgmental. Like, that's the default. It's instinctual for us to show favoritism towards a certain group of people. James is writing towards a group of people that their favoritism was often towards the wealthy and the rich because they knew that they would give more money to the church. Your natural inclination is to show favoritism towards the friends that you've already known or the people who have really similar backgrounds or are from the same town or share the same experiences as you or went to the same high school as you or tenure, like they've been a friend longer. So naturally, when you think of your schedule, you fill it up with those people and you may not make any room or any space for new friendships. Again, it's probably not deliberate, but it's still a roadblock. God never intended for us to stop making connections. God never intended for your friend circle to be sold out. So if you've settled in, you've gotten comfortable with the same friends that you've had the past 10 years, it might be time to unsettle and meet someone new. So let me close by just um, giving you a few questions to consider. I think there's two kinds of friends that we all need in our lives for spiritual health and for growth. The first is a fridge friend, and the second is a safe friend. And let me explain what those are. A fridge friend is the kind of friend that feels completely comfortable grabbing a drink from your fridge without even asking. So you can probably even think, whose house you feel comfortable enough going to that without asking the owner, you go into their fridge and if you're thirsty, you're getting something to drink, right? And for me, that's kind of like my indicator of how I know I feel at home somewhere else or how my friends feel at home at my house is if they feel comfortable walking in the door, if they're invited, not just randomly, don't just walk into my house, but if you're invited over and you walk in without knocking because you know the door's open to you, And then as we're hanging out, you just kind of pop up and you go and get a drink and come back. Like to me, that's like a nonverbal communication that they feel at home. They feel comfortable. That's a fridge friend. That's somebody um, that's important in my life because I know that we can share uh, a level of comfort with each other. If someone comes into my home and they have to ask if they can use the restroom, (laughs) that tells me they don't feel comfortable in my house yet. That tells me that I need to do a better job of showing them hospitality so they feel like they're at home. So fridge friends are important because those are the people you feel comfortable with and they feel comfortable with you and your guards can come down. Like the insecurity thing, it kind of lowers because you're with people that you trust, that you can have fun with, that you can have great experiences, good conversation. Like those are the friends that you can just unwind with. Now, you can probably think right now, who are those people in your life? If you don't have any yet, 
Maybe you just moved here. Maybe you did and you grew apart. Maybe the only fridge friends you can think of are family. Ask yourself what you can do to build those because friendships are built. They're not just chosen. How often are you initiating and inviting, building new connections so that the people around you get to a place of comfort that they feel like your home is their home? That's the goal. The second kind of friend is a safe friend. And a safe friend is the kind of friend that you can be truly vulnerable and honest with. Now, obviously, there's going to be some overlap here. Um, the, the safe friends in my life are also fridge friends, but, but a safe friend is someone that is, uh, like, it goes even deeper than that. And, and you don't need many of these. I, I think everybody needs one or two. Somebody um, that, that over time you've developed um, a pattern where you're both initiating and you're both inviting and you're both trusting one another. You're listening, you're spending time together. The sad reality is a lot of Christians, unfortunately, don't have any safe friends, any true safe friends that share the same faith as them. You might have friends that you've known for years that you consider some of your closest friends, but I'll be honest, if you don't share the same faith and beliefs as them, I don't call that a safe friend because their outlook on the world is totally different. You need somebody, somebody in your life that's committed to being that kind of friend for you that's challenging you in your walk with Christ and helping you to grow spiritually. Now, like, if, if it's hard for you to think of that, that's okay. Know that you're trying to build it. Just ask yourself, who has the greatest potential of being that friend for you? It might be worth reaching out to them, initiating with them, and starting to build that friendship. Initiate with them. Because the fact is, in order to go together, you have to grow together. In order to be that kind of friend, you really have to be growing spiritually together. That's why I think we can all think of friendships that we had at one point, and because most friendships are temporary, they grew apart. Because you weren't growing together, you were growing in separate directions. We all need fridge friends, and we need uh, safe friends. At, at, at Grace Church, we call that growth groups. It's, it's buddying up. It's having a friend or two that you're committed to meeting with regularly to grow spiritually. Um, Jesus closes by, by this passage. He says this. He says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. See, this isn't easy, and, and Jesus knows that. But as followers of Jesus, he's appointed us to do the harder things so that we can make a difference. Love others in the same way that Jesus loved his disciples because Jesus knows the world would be such a different place if we did. If just the Christians, if just the Christians in our world loved people the way Jesus loved his disciples, if just we were the kind of friend that Jesus was to his disciples, that'd make a huge difference. Just imagine how different your life would look if you had friends that loved you, that initiated and invited you. Imagine what their world would look like if you did the same back. That's why I'm going to keep working on this with you. Let's be better friends, the kinds of friends Jesus asks us to be. We have the remote. We have control over this. We can do this. Let's do the harder thing. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, um, I just... God, I pray that you challenge us with this. I think uh, every single person 
um, that's in this conversation with us struggles with this in some way because naturally in our hearts we are selfish people and we naturally think of what we want first and you in your teachings you're always pushing us to selflessness and to caring more about the needs of the people around us God so I pray that I and everybody that's listening that we can be better friends God, that we can take the first step just like you did, just like you modeled for us. God, that we won't be shy to invite new people in and new people over just like you did um, with your early followers, God. Lord, just challenge us. For those of us that just feel really uh, deeply convicted in a very specific way, I pray that we're not discouraged. I pray that we're encouraged and excited because that's you speaking to us. That's you getting our attention and saying you have something better for us, God. Just help us to get better at this. We pray this in your name. Amen.